Welcome to the Rad Awakenings Podcast. I'm Kay He. When was the last time you became aware of something deep, provocative, and uncomfortable? In these moments, we level up in our work, our creativity, and most importantly, in our own heads. Each episode, our guests will describe their Rad Awakenings. The conversations are real, raw, and will share in both struggle and joy. Welcome to the second episode of my two-part series with Tiago Forte, the founder of Forte Labs and productivity and knowledge management guru. We take a slightly different approach in this episode, and we turn the tables and Tiago interviews me. I go through my first principles, or shall I say building blocks, of my workflow system, and then we talk a lot about relationship building and how it relates to productivity. We both come to realize our shared mission in helping people uncover their blind spots. This is a fun episode, a little bit geeky with a lot of acronyms, so please head over to radawakenings.com to see the detailed show notes and reference all of the tools we mentioned in the podcast. Tiago captures the future of work well with his concept of a full-stack freelancer. They can be solopreneurs, creatives, and even people with jobs who are working on side projects. What they have in common is that they use technology's services and platforms to generate revenue. And Skillshare is an awesome way to take your workflow and productivity to the next level. Skillshare is an online learning community with over 17,000 classes in business, marketing, and more. Skillshare has classes on mastering project management tools such as Asana and Evernote. And you can even take a class on creating your ideal work week taught by Skillshare's founder and CEO. Classes are completely flexible, great for both the professional or freelancer looking to brand themselves and grow their business. And best of all, you get unlimited access to all of this for a low monthly price, never a pay per class again. Skillshare is giving the Rad Awakenings listeners a month of unlimited access, absolutely free. Go to Skillshare.com slash rad. That's Skillshare.com slash R-A-D to redeem your free month. Hey, everyone. So I'm really excited and a little bit nervous because for the first time, I'm going to hand the mic over to my friend and our guru, Tiago, who's going to ask me a few questions about my workflow on this mini episode. Hello, Tiago. Hey, Kay. Tiago here. Just really happy to be turning the tables on our usual host, who is Kay. And basically, I'm going to be looking at some of the principles and tools and habits that he uses to run his very colorful and interesting life and see what we can learn about him, the work he does, and maybe even about things that we could, we could use ourselves in our, our own productivity. So, Kay, I want to start really with first principles. This is something we've talked about in the past a little bit, but I want to know basically what makes you tick? Like what, when you sit down to work, are the guiding kind of the foundation or the guiding principles of how you see your work and what there is to do next? Yeah, it's changed a lot, but I will say that I'm kind of coming off this Cal Newport man crush uh, around the idea of deep work. And, And I think that it's manifested in a way that I think actually some of my friends are a little frustrated with me and, and, and they're listening because they're such great friends and supporters. But I, I love kind of disconnecting from everything 
and doing large chunks of uninterrupted work. And what I mean by that is, I mean, I go to extremes where recently, especially because I've been writing a book proposal, and we could talk about the momentum needed for, for like creativity to unravel and emerge, but it's straight up like Louis C.K. style, like airplane mode on the laptop, phone turned off in a drawer. I even put a little index card next to me where I count the number of times I check SMS, like text messages, mostly in case like someone's trying to reach me urgently. Slack, because I do report to people uh, and I kind of like a part-time capability. And even bathroom and water breaks. Because, and this is the thing that really kind of like latched with me on, on this concept of deep work, is that Cal Newport says that when you're doing difficult, cognitively difficult tasks, you reach this hard point. And the question is, like, what do you do when you reach that hard point? And it's so easy to just tap out. And what I learned about myself was that you tap out like with social media or whatever. But then, then I started tap, like I started organizing my desk. <laughs> and, and I'm very, you know, from our other episodes, like I'm very careful to not be self-judging about those things because that's not the point of it. But the point is to, to notice. So it's similar to, to the way you described time tracking. This, this little sticky note while I'm doing deep work really just makes me notice that I'm hitting one of these cognitively difficult paths. And then it's, it kind of like makes me ask myself, okay, is it truly difficult or are you just being a little lazy and you don't want to plow through this? And so, so that's kind of the way I think about deep work. And I've done it in like different levels. Like when I was writing my proposal, I was trying to do two to three hours like in a row. And it's fucking exhausting. Um, <laughs> but then if I had to like write, I don't know, like a 500 word blog post, then I would use the same approach, but then it would take, you know, like 40 minutes. And so I kind of scale it. And even now, which is a limited, a similar concept is batching, even with emails, it's like, okay, I'm going to sit down. It ties with one of your principles where like don't finish with a deliverable or, or maybe I'm interpreting it differently, but it's like I'm going to sit down with my email and I'm not going to move until it gets to zero or whatever the, the thing is. And, and that could be for like 15 minutes or, or 20 minutes. So, so that's kind of been, it's a newer one. I've always been into kind of single tasking and all that, but that's like the most recent and strongest pillar these days. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you're, you're, you're getting a tangible result out of that investment of time and energy instead of just, I worked X number of minutes. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, you do three hours of deep work, like not writing on a book proposal, but like doing kind of your ordinary, you're done working. <laughs> like when you, if, if it's truly uninterrupted, like you, you realize the magnitude of what you could complete than if you were like responding to emails in between and going on Twitter breaks and things like that. It's, it's really, really powerful. Um, 
So that's deep work. What's another principle, the next principle that comes to mind when you think of what guides you? I would say managing energy over time. So managing time would be like I have 20 minutes now. What's a 20-minute task that I should do? And managing energy is I am feeling really fresh now. What's the best task to match my freshness or I'm feeling really groggy and like like totally out of it like what's the the best time and so for me to to put it in very pragmatic terms I'm, I'm very much a morning person so for me writing creating doing like really I try to get that deep work session in from like 8 to 11 9 to 12 and then I really start to kind of like trickle down after lunch. And at three o'clock, I really start to crater hard. But at like, I really start responding to my emails at like four to 5 p.m. Because it's kind of like mindless, like crank it out, high room for error, repetitive, for the most part, <laughs> repetitive tasks. Whereas at the beginning of the day, if you're writing a blog post or like thinking of an outline for a presentation or rehearsing a presentation, that is the time to like you really need to manage. And, and, and your energy fluctuates. Like sometimes you're just like starting off, your day starts, my day starts really low energy. And I'm like, okay, I know myself. This is not the time to write a blog post. This is the time to go into my to-do list and do these kind of low energy tasks And so I kind of like really am always kind of managing to those. And sometimes when the task is so low, I just, sometimes I just stop. It's like I stop working. It's like it's not even worth me responding to email at this point. I should just go home and like sleep or or turn off, shut down. It's kind of like the, uh, I'm going to take a risk here and try to make a finance analogy. (laughs) Yeah, go for it. I'm out of the game. If you have like investments that are so low ROI that they're not worth even, it's not even worth like not only the, the money itself, but like not, not even worth the time for you to think about them, for you to manage them. It's better to like, instead of committing those resources to something that's not returning, it's better you want to like pull those back and invest that money in something that's going to have an ROI that's worth your time. Totally. And I think that that ties into kind of a third principle which is to limit cognitive overhead. And what I mean by that is a good example could be, this happened, and when we talk about where I'm stuck, I've always struggled with figuring out where to save YouTube videos to watch. And so if someone sends me a video that like looks really compelling, it might like kind of linger in my inbox because I don't really know where to put it. And this goes to your kind of like having the right containers. I didn't have the right container. And that one email just sitting there, it just like, it just seeing it stresses you out. And so I've, I've really like gone out of my way to make sure that I don't have, because at the end of the day, that thing has zero relevance to me, zero. And something that has zero relevance should never cause cognitive load on me. I just like, this is a big, that's like the biggest travesty if that's happening. And so, so I'm really mindful to look for those, but it really is the things that kind of fall in the cracks. It's like the PDF 
that's not downloadable on like scribded or scribbed like like how do i remember to read that thing like the, those are the ones and, and there there's also you know another good example is I, i've been doing like a budget cleanup thanks to another another of our guests who really shone a light on me she's like you got to she's like you're not budgeting because you're hiding from the accountability not because like you think you're you like you're confident with your money situation. It was different, <laughs> different conversation. So I started to go through all my monthly subscriptions, and I know that's part of your review. And I found that I had like Google Drive, ten bucks a month, Dropbox, ten bucks a month, and iCloud, two dollars a month. And I just was like wrestling with this two dollars i was like what at the end of the day it's 24 bucks a year it doesn't matter but it was like bugging me that it was there and i didn't really know if i needed it for like iphoto stream or something like that and finally i was like no like fuck it like i'm cutting this off and and i canceled the two dollars because that again it was like why is this two dollar thing stressing me out yeah absolutely and they, and they design it that way too right where it's just it's easier and it's just easier to just let it keep going. Yeah. Right. They're, they're not going to bug you about it. They're not going to really kind of um, call too much attention to themselves because the default defaults are powerful and the default is to keep paying for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Talk more about you, you've kind of gone into like managing information. Like where do you put YouTube videos? Where do you put PDFs? I imagine you're, you're involved in so many projects and most of them seem to be pretty information intensive, either consuming or producing or both. What are some of the either either techniques or principles or even specific tools that you use to manage your information and knowledge? Yeah. So the main one or one of the principles is around touch it once, kind of the GTD that, that we've, we've spoken about in the past. But if I talk about my toolkit, it's really, it's OmniFocus, Evernote, Instapaper, Dropbox, where you and I differ, I use Quip for collaborative documents and Fantastical. And I have, though, and Trello. And so I have this, like, OmniFocus is really, like, my secret weapon where it's really important. Another first principle that I have that's kind of a, a smaller first principle is quick entry. And that means like it's got to be really, really easy to input a task or an item like from many different contexts. So like Chrome extensions to email, email ability. But another one that I think makes me a little bit different is that I really favor text-based command lines. And so, for example, my calendar app is fantastical because I can write meet Tiago at 12 and I don't have to ever tap into a menu to do the time for example and so that's really 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 important to me because calendaring for me is is a, a point of friction and so the the quicker that I can get things in I you probably do this a lot too but I do a lot of email to Evernote but I always tag my notebook in the subject line to make sure that, that I, again, to like, and I know you, you catch them and then you move them as part of your workflow. But for me, it's like, if I can command line something, I will always try to do that first. 
So that's that's kind of like a quick principle. So OmniFocus is really my GTD, and, and I've used it for on and off, but mostly on for almost a decade now. And the thing, though, is that OmniFocus is kind of like acting as this bridge between Evernote and Trello for me. And so OmniFocus, so for example, as I'm walking around, I think about people, guests that I want on the podcast. And so what I'll do is I have a project in OmniFocus called Podcast, and I'll be walking and I'll say Tiago and Dave Perel and, and so on, and they'll all kind of go into that project. But they shouldn't really live there. I know David Allen would say that, that they should live there until you schedule that guest, but they're really kind of a mix of project, like task-oriented project and resource or resource document, right? It's like, these are all the kind of, you know, like I, I might want like, I don't know, uh, Mark Andreessen, you know, but like, it doesn't make sense for Mark Andreessen to be in my OmniFocus. And this is something that it's been working pretty well. I basically have these like transpose sessions where the task, it moves from like a kernel of idea, like get Mark Andreessen on podcast, like get it out of my head into somewhere manageable. And then when I do kind of like a, 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 a review or a download, like maybe weeks later, then I will transpose it. I like actually have a Trello board that's like full of like different podcast guests because it's really helpful to visualize like who's on the queue, who's been scheduled, things like that. So then I'll transpose them. And I struggle because sometimes I think that that might be a wasted step. Like why not send Mark Andreessen directly into Trello? But I think that there's some, A, like OmniFocus is just so, it's really my second brain. So I just default to there for everything. And then this is like the little secret almost where I map my energy and time as OmniFocus contexts. So you call them areas and things, but they're basic. And so I have a whole list. So for, for our listeners, there's a task like add Mark Andreessen to podcast list. And then there's a context, which is usually a person, place, or thing. So you could do it like when you're at home or you could do it when you're on your iPhone or something. But I add another layer of contexts that are en energy contexts. You're quite known for, for OmniFocus and the setup you, you've had there. What's like been the mo most recent thing that you like, like longstanding practice you changed or or something new you took on within OmniFocus, or just in yeah, general? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does it does it stay the same all the time, or like what was the, the most recent discovery? Yeah, I took a break from it, and I'm starting to feel that pressure a little bit because it's so easy to drop tasks in. So I have like a little heuristic. So and we talked about this one when, when I interviewed you, but like I'm like walking around and and I see like the Brooklyn Bridge, and I'm like. I wonder when the Brooklyn Bridge was built. And what I used to do is put it in OmniFocus, right? Because that's the whole point. Capture, capture everything. But what I realized was that that is too much. Like I have to draw the line somewhere. And so these like like little micro kernels of, they're not even ideas, they're, they're thoughts. And mostly they involve looking things up. I don't, really let myself 
put them in because then like it becomes a black hole of stuff and and the cognitive burden really starts to rise you can imagine that that tickler file where it's like when was the brooklyn bridge built like how did einstein die like you know like and it's just like yes like it would be cool to know them but like you can trust that that when you need to find those answers they'll find you so that would be one that kind of thing is the is exactly the kind of thing I would go straight to Evernote. Why wouldn't you just some random idea or piece of content or fact? Why would you not put that in a note taking app? I guess I don't know the Evernote well enough yet to do that seamlessly. And my organization, I'd have to structure the right notebook for it. I guess structurally, I wouldn't know how to hold it where to hold it. And then entry-wise, I don't love Evernote because it's not like very quick entry. Like there's a few, you know, like a few taps to get to where you need to be. And that's why I like OmniFocus. I think Things has this too. It's like a, there's like a gigantic add button in like the middle. <laughs> Have you seen the, the new Evernote app that was updated like a couple months ago is much better. That's true. It's not, it's, instead of being like a basically the desktop app ported to a tiny, tiny screen. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's like mobile first and geared more towards capture, I'd say, than retrieval. Have you Got seen it? it? I, I have seen it. And now that, now that you're mentioning that, I, it's, probably, it's probably worth considering. If I, I, I would need the right notebook structure for it, but I don't, I also have, I have this thing where it's weird. It's the, <laughs> we're going to get weird now. It's the like immigrant in me where it feels wasteful to have a note with one word in it. Yeah, totally. I, I know what you mean. It's like you're wasting paper. <laughs> like It's like how my, my parents delete photos off their phone. Like there's no, you don't need to do that, you know? So I think there's a little bit of that. And I think the third thing, which you answered in your description is that I didn't have the right way to resurface old notes. So to have a one question note in a random notebook that I have no way of resurfacing, it kind of felt like, actually it fell in the cognitive overload bucket. So this, this makes me curious, how do, you, how do you do extraction then? Like let's say, I don't know, you're, you're gonna work on something new, you're gonna write a new blog post. What's, what's the places you look at it and in what order to find the content that's gonna go into that thing? That's, I mean, you, you nailed it. It's not great. I use a lot of tags. I tag a lot of stuff. I actually use Twitter a bit for this where I kind of like screenshots, like screenshot mini ideas. I've seen, you've been doing a lot of that. And like kind of like writing it, it, it there the answer is it's it's not particularly the closest thing would be like organized in Trello, but Trello is not the right place for like troves of, of information that, that build up. But to give you some context, so I'm, right, I'm working on my book proposal. I have three things now. I have a project called Book Proposal, which is kind of like the transpose folder, like the call Mark Andreessen thing. Then I have a Trello list where I basically have each chapter is a column so I can visually move ideas around. And then I have a notebook that has like lots and lots of clips in Evernote. So it's like a, a, um, a, a loosely connected and interacting series of tools. 
Yes. They're definitely all moving in the same direction. They, they know they're true north, but there's friction. There's not a ton of friction, but there's definitely friction, but there's very little cognitive overhead, meaning that I know that I know that the idea is captured and I know that I can find it pretty quickly. And again, I think I use Trello for like, I like to like move things around in blocks visually and Evernote more like a repository. And I'm, I'm getting to use OmniFocus better, but there is that Evernote to Trello switch over handoff where it gets blurry, right? Like a paragraph. Is that a module or is that just a resource or, or an idea? Like, you know, that then it starts to get a little hairy. Totally. Yeah, because you, you see that all these kind of categorizations are, are ultimately arbitrary. So it's, it's, the, it's the map territory distinction, right? Like you're, you're having this map that you've essentially made up. And when you find a piece of the map that doesn't seem to correspond to reality, you have to decide, do I stick to the map and pretend like it matches? Do I try to force what I'm seeing or doing into my system? Do I just allow it to you know, exist as an exception? Do I fight it and kind of rail against it? Just accept it? Like there's a decision to be made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, a, I have a kind of a random question. This wasn't in our, in our planning, but... Go for those are the best. What would you say is your superpower? What is the thing of the many skills that you have, the one that is farthest from baseline or farthest from average in terms of like something you can do that to most people is extremely difficult? What would you say that is? I used to say that it was my ability to sit in a middle seat on an airplane. Because <laughs> like, I would say like my pain threshold, discomfort threshold. Again, that's the immigrant child in me speaking. I don't want that to be my superpower anymore. So I'm trying very hard to, to disassociate from that. But that, that's probably not where you're going. So there's one that's very kind of high level. And there's one that's a little bit more pragmatic. So I'll, I'll talk with a more like pragmatic one is whenever I meet someone, I can map like the, you know, those LinkedIn graphs where they like, like they, they the cluster graphs, like who's the node in your network. They stopped letting you do that, but I can do that extremely well with people because I, I really try to understand like the lineages between different groups of people, both like historically, but also contemporaneously. And so like you're like, for example, like you're in the ribbon farm tribe. That's one of your tribes. And so it's almost like this like exercise that I, that I love to like figure out, like how did you get into that tribe or, you know, like how, like, like, for example, you and Evernote. Like, I asked myself, I was like, I wonder if I could piece together the links through which that relationship happened. And in that specific one, I couldn't. But I really just, like, enjoy that. And to me, it's so informative about who people are. And I think another way that that manifests itself is I'm getting a little hard. It's getting a little hard now, but if you, like picked a random person in my contact list and said, how did you meet this person? I think for 95% of the people you would pick, I could tell you every loop, every link to that person. And for context, I I quantified my relationship. In two years, on an average year, I, I meet 350 people. And they're not all new. 
I'll send you the post about this. But um, I just like it's so important. I, I just it's just it's not even important. It's just like really cool to figure out these like lineages. It gets much harder in the digital land. You know, it's easier. It was like I went to Yale. I worked in finance and this and that. But like. Like you and Venkatesh, like you may have never met in person. It's very possible. And so it kind of like screws up that algorithm a little bit. But on the flip side, I have so many more data points. That's true. This, this is fascinating to me because it's so the opposite of me. <laughs> That's, so I'll translate that into the, the higher level thing is I just, I really love listening. Mm. And I, I almost play a game, game with myself when I meet someone is I try to talk as little as possible. Interesting. Uh, which is hard because yeah, I people love to love talk. To talk. <laughs> and, and I love to talk. And I just, you know, people talk, I listen, like I always listen for like names, like names, like people that like you were in touch with, that like even a passing reference of a name. And sometimes like just for fun, I'll go look up that person in LinkedIn. And so I think that I meet a lot of people like, so functionally, I'm like, I have a high N and then I do this, which kind of like, just like creates these weird, weird connections. But the ultimate goal is that it helps me tend and care for my network better. And which is like, really like my calling where if there are people, if there are good people in the world, like, and I can do something, especially that has low cognitive load and make their lives better. I should do it. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely see, this is fascinating to me, and I completely see how you manifest it. I mean, you're, yeah, you're always connecting people. You're always introducing, sort of uh, linking people together, even like your audience and me. Like, you've, you've been retweeting and, and sending out my things in your, your newsletter, and, and they're a really cool bunch. And I've, you know, had some phone calls and some, some interactions with them that, that shows me, you know, what a great audience you've, you've built up. But it's, I want to I talk more about this, like, so you kind of have a social network in your head that is one of your primary sort of maps of reality. And you're constantly, like you said, editing, tending, cultivating, connecting people into it, connecting people that are on the outside. And what I'm curious, so we're linking this back to like kind of productivity and workflow stuff. I think one of the dangers for me, at least of, of deep work or one of the risks is like social isolation. And you mentioned your, your friends are, are a little unhappy with you. How do you, like this, this narrative I think that a lot of us have, especially introverts like me, is that productivity, getting things done, and being social are sort of at odds. Like those, those two things, I, in my mind, there's almost no overlap, uh, which I, I know sounds really sad. How do you, how do you get things done? Because you're clearly so productive and you have such a high output of, of clear, tangible deliverables. How do you do that while at the same time investing so incredibly much in your social network? I think well, you asked superpower, right? It's like the flow things that bring you into a flow state. I just have that wind at my sails that it's just like, it's just in me. That being said, my systems are so robust and, and being connected to your work has like made, like even brought them to the next level. And so, so for example, for my contacts, we should talk about this. I have a, an app called Full Contact. And Full Contact is an app, but it's really a Gmail uh, extension, paid Gmail extension, that basically plugs into your con contact book. And it basically lets you, you could do this in Gmail. You label your network. 
So you could you tag your network and you could create tons and tons of tags. And full contact lets you do it in like a much easier way. So funny because I, I have my email open. And so when I meet someone, I think about from a tagging perspective, I think about them in four dimensions. What do you do functionally? What industries do you touch? What are your passions and hobbies? And what are your superpowers? Did you come up with these four categories or where did they come from? Yeah, they, they, they kind of, I, they're original to, to me, I guess. I, I mean, I, I came up with them over time. But at first, they were the, originally they were the first two. Like they were, um, you know, LinkedIn categories, right? Where do you work? What do you do? Um, but what I realized was you could put two people and connect two lawyers together. Like, yeah, that's going to be a fun meeting. But if you put two people who love sneakers together, and maybe they happen to both be lawyers, maybe they don't, it doesn't matter. This like amazing connectivity will come from the, the shared interest. And when you're sorting, when you're like filtering function is like, is this person like a good person and a like nice and interesting person? Then it really like becomes magical. And so, so there's such little friction. In fact, like your card is open as we're talking and it says productivity, blogger, free agent, and San Francisco. And so uh, location is uh, obviously that's not in the four categories, but, and as we get to know each other, like people who I've known for like five, 10 years, they have like 17 tags. And again, it's a little bit, you know what it is? It's like in your, when we did your workflow, it's like your little tickler, your idea tickler. I have a contact tickler because when someone emails me, it pulls up their full contact card. So it forces me to think about their attributes. And I might just add a few or I might just rejigger. It's like, oh, like I forgot Tiago like Bitcoin. Constantly reminding yourself of these little tidbits. Exactly. And it's almost like I care less about the reminder for like my own stuff, like my book or whatever. <laughs> I hope my agent's not listening. But for my network, I, I like, I really, really care. Well, yeah, it's like you're using, you're not using software as an idea generator. You're using live human beings. And it also, it's like the tool is, is almost irrelevant. I'm really just using like a set of principles and, you know, at first I kept, kept this in a Google spreadsheet. And then for a little while, I, I kept it in a, a different app and now it's in full contact. But it, it, like, but again, it, you, I internalize it for every person. I could probably list 80% of their tags from memory. So that's, that's crazy to me and really inspiring because you're, yeah, you're, you're showing that, that a productive and satisfying life can be done multiple ways. Like it doesn't, the, the dichotomy I have in my head between a social life, which really is a happy life, like, you know, everything we know about happiness basically versus in a successful entrepreneurial life, maybe that's, that's an illusion and I don't have to make that choice and, and none of us do. I think so, especially in the kind of work that we're doing now, right? Where you're breaking down the barriers of the office of the work day, of work itself, right? Like, are we working now? Most people would say yes. 
It's fucking 9.45 on a Sunday, and I don't want this to end. I know. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> so I, I do think, and I would I would urge you to challenge yourself, and I, I'm going to make a note of it in, in somewhere, to challenge you on it that productivity and, and isolation don't have to be, uh, don't have to go move hand in hand. Yeah. I think that's a deep assumption that needs to be challenged. I, it's funny, even when I look at my own, you know, all my biggest opportunities, my biggest breaks have been from meeting people in person or sometimes meeting online. And it's funny that I, you'd, you'd think I would conclude from that it's worth investing more in. Um, but yet I, st- I still have this, this feeling, maybe it's just a, uh, it's like an internal narrative that my success depends on my own individual output, right? And that seems to require these kind of insular long periods of focus. Some of them, sometimes it happens on the weekend because that's the only time I feel like I can, you know, set, set time aside, but then I'm missing out basically on the social life of the community around me. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. Like, and that's why people are like, wow, okay, you're super extra. Like my favorite place 12 hour flight, no Wi-Fi, <laughs> And I love my wife and my daughter, but without them, <laughs> like that is like, I am the most Zen on, on, in that, on that airplane. So I think, again, it's a false dichotomy of like introvert, extrovert, right? It's, you know, or ex, you know, generalist, especially, you know, like, I think so many of these things are, are, are breaking down. So let's let's turn it around now for the, the last few minutes and let me ask you what's not working. This is actually where I need your help as a coach. I cannot, if I go back to first principle that we didn't talk about, one is I really dislike things where the optionality is mispriced. And so what I mean by by that is, so take take email and a specific kind of email where let's say you're going to Portugal and you email five friends and you say, hey guys, I'm going to Portugal. What should I do in Lisbon? I think that that's a grossly inappropriate email and you should not send that email. The reason why is because it's something that took you 10 seconds to write and you're expecting 15 minutes of response time from five people and it's hard to give them an out, like unless you truly gave them an out, because it, it goes back to that cognitive overhead. You just like gave 75 minutes of cognitive overhead with a 10 second email. Yeah, that's very true. So I don't run into that situation as much in email, but the place where I really struggle with it is my reading list. And this is a problem I have with Twitter where I could be on Twitter for 10 minutes and come up with four hours of reading. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I haven't cracked the code. So what I used to do, I have like little tricks where it's like, go on Twitter and you're only allowed to favorite one article, or Instapaper one article. Yeah, kind of like arbitrary constraints. Yeah, but that's not really, I know that that's flawed as well. So as a result, I... I don't really ever know what I should be reading. And let's not even factor physical books into it. Let's just stick with digital medium to long form. And I tried your buffer approach. And then there's another wrinkle. It's like, like where does a 15-page PDF go? Oh, because I refused to... One of the rules when I re-engaged with OmniFocus was you're not allowed to put in tasks to read an article. 
<laughs> I have something similar actually. <laughs> and and so as a result, I just dumped everything into Pocket, but then there's like instead there's no way to like parse out like the ten percent that I want to read. And so I'm just kind of like I go into I'm almost like get anxiety now going into my Instapaper feed because it's like I don't even know where to fuck. I, I'm like back in that LIFO thing. It's like, oh, it's like these are the last five things I added. Like, let me pick one of those. So my solution is to go to FIFO. So what I do now with Instapaper, I have hundreds and hundreds of articles. I don't know if I'll ever finish them. I don't really care. Basically, the only way that I consume articles in Instapaper is I sort them from oldest saved to newest saved. Wow. And then I have to go one at a time in chrono- exactly the same as with email. The, the same shit. way I do email. One at a time in order. And if there's something I'm not willing to read right at that moment, then I just archive it. Yeah. Wow. And it, it, it turns up some really interesting effects where you, first of all, the, the cognitive burden that you would spend choosing, you now spend actually reading. Yeah, because right? there's no decision. You just go. You there's go no to the decision. same place. You just do the next one. The other interesting thing is what you're actually tracking when you do it this way, you you are actually putting yourself in, in the state of mind that you were in at the time, right? Because you can actually follow the, the, the track. Like, you know, I'll, I'll hit a Wikipedia article and I'm like, okay, I'll read that. And then there will be this whole series of things like all the links in that Wikipedia article that I saved to read. Mm, yeah. <laughs> right? Wow. But, but here's the cool thing is that actually makes it easier to filter because – like at the time, the reason I saved all these these links from the Wikipedia article is I thought this this topic was going to be super relevant and important, mm-hmm. right? But now I have two things. I have the passage of time to give me objectivity. And also I have the fact that I just read the original Wikipedia article also gives me perspective. So what I will often do is read the Wikipedia article, you know, highlight it, do everything, and then go, that was enough. Delete, 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 like the next seven things. <laughs> wow. And what percentage of articles do you discard or read since you switched to that approach? I'd say um, I probably just don't even read about a third. Okay. Another third, this is very approximate. Another third I read, but I have no notes or highlights. Okay. It was just sort of like, oh, that was interesting. And then a third of them, I use the highlighting feature within Instapaper, which then I have linked to an IFTTT recipe where anything I highlight shows up as a note in Evernote. As an indi- so if you have five highlights in one article, it's five notes or one one note? No. So for the longest time, that was the case. And I would have to remember later to combine them. But I just discovered a new recipe where instead of add to Evernote, it says append to Evernote. Ah. So now it shows up perfectly formatted in a single note. You'll have to send that to me. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Oh, that's great. That's so funny because one of the questions that we glossed over in both of ours what like special hack has brought you joy and you're like i don't have any but you actually do have one (laughs) and we found it i do i totally do yeah well let's um let's wrap up do you have any like looking back over this conversation anything any last words you want to you want to leave us with either admonitions things we should do or prohibitions things we shouldn't um coming from your experience and your your wisdom yeah i think it comes back to this this idea of abundance where the universe is conspiring in your favor and these zero sum trade-offs, I think we all should remind ourselves, you know, you on the productivity versus isolation, me on, you know, no, there is a way to capture these little micro notes 
without like causing cognitive, you know? So just like kind of a re-questioning of things, these kind of like zero sum constructs that we all have in our heads. And I think the beauty of this conversation is that it's very hard to do that on your own. You know, you need someone to like poke a little. And, and maybe the takeaway is like, get a buddy and just poke at things. And it doesn't have to be productivity, but it just could be something that is important to you and entrenched in your behavior. Because there's probably, it's probably ripe for change, but it's very hard for the change to come with it from within. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like the way I think of it is like, we all have a built-in superpower, which is we all have the ability to see other people's blind spots. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easy. You just, yep. I mean, people just tell you, like they say something, you know, and it doesn't matter. They can be a close friend, a family member, or a stranger, and you can just read in what they're saying, their assumptions and their fears and their their narratives. Totally. And that's why it's so important for us to help each other out. Is like you can't see your own blind spots by definition, right? Absolutely. And I would actually extend that one might be an amazing way to wrap the podcast uh, around the concept of relationships. So, so much of the work that I'm doing is motivated by one belief. That's a, it's an extension of what you just said is that we can see the beauty in others that they fail to see in themselves. Yes. And that really is at the driving force of everything that I'm doing. That's, that's an incredible mission statement, man. That's, that's really inspiring. So, well, we're all, we're all on this on this together, blind spots, uh, insecurities, everything. So, um, but yeah, that, that, that really gets me, that gets me out of bed. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, I always say if I can add one of my core beliefs, (laughs) yes, not quite as inspiring, but like getting out of bed in the morning is always the, the first problem you have to solve, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's the bottleneck. If you can't do that, then all other problems are sort of out of reach. So I think this, this is why, you know, both of our work in like constantly refining and defining what you're about and what you believe in is not like some whimsical, you know, nice thing for you to do. It's like absolutely central to everything you do. Absolutely. Well, on that note, okay, I think we're going to, we're going to finish up, but it's been a real pleasure. And I, I really hope that your, your audience got some insight into who you are, um, kind of turning the spotlight on the guy that's running this, this operation. Yes. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure they have. And, and I, I'm, I'm waiting for the Tiago Forte uh, podcast to start. The pressure is building. The pressure is building. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you. Talk to you later, Kay. Since we recorded the episode, I took Tiago's class, Building a Second Brain, and all I can say is, wow. It transformed the way I use Evernote, and the results have been stunning. The time to create the Rad Reads weekly email has decreased by 20%, and I've been cranking out great blog posts in no time since my notes are so accessible. Tiago's next class launches on November 6th, and many rad readers have already signed up. Check out bit.ly slash radbrain. That's bit.ly slash radbrain, all lowercase, to learn more. And as usual, please support the Rad Awakenings podcast by visiting patreon.com slash radreads and leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Until next time.